use technology to your advantage, you know, use technology to overcome what limiting beliefs you have about your performance, because at the end of the day, it's all about how you're expressing yourself. Welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, editor-in-chief of the Unz.com, and I'm Bill's croissant and croissant accessory dealer. Hank Hill could never. Bill's guest this week is Laura Escudé. She's one of the foremost experts on Ableton and using it to power live productions. She's responsible for the live setups of Kanye, Bon Iver, and relaunched American Idol system. She's also huge in the educational space and is really prolific in tutorial and workshop programs. Thanks to everyone who's been rating the show and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcatcher they use. It really helps people to find the show. Please join the Patreon to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and full video of every podcast. This week, Mr. Bill's Discord server dropped its first collaborative EP, The Beleagal Immigrants Present Slapnia a four-track EP that goes into the theme of dreams. Primo, Sofro, Elliderp, and Bill, each project managed one of the four tracks, and producers in the server told them what to do. Nearly 40 artists were involved in the making of these tunes, and they came out great. They're super kick-ass. So make sure you're in the Beleagle Immigrants Discord if you want to get in on cool stuff like this. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. Bill has added a new micro tutorial feed and he's been dumping in a ton of great content in there. It's like if Reddit was 60% less racist and 12% more educational. All right, enjoy Bill's chat with Laura Escudé. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. awesome well yeah thanks so much for coming on um somebody hit me up on instagram the other day and they were like you should get more women on the podcast and i was like well i don't really pick people to come on my podcast via their gender but i was like i yeah i know some talented women who i would like to talk to and, <laughs> and you were one of them oh, right on. that popped into my Amazing. head um yeah right so, on. cool so yeah thanks so much for for doing this for people who don't know who you are um I guess like a brief introduction uh, would be cool. Should Would you like me to uh, introduce or would you like to uh, just tell people like, you know, what, what, what kind yeah, of things you do? Yeah, I could tell people. <laughs> nice. I can tell people I'm used to doing that. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm Laura Escudé. I started out playing violin and doing classical music and became a music producer and live show programmer. And I'm an artist as well. So I do everything music production based, live performance based. I'm well known, probably more well known for the live performance stuff that I do, working with different artists to help them get their shows to the next level and all that stuff. Yeah. And when you say um, live show designer, like you design Kanye's live show and like Porter Robinson and like these pretty mm-hmm. pretty amazingly huge live shows that you're sort of the brains behind uh in terms of the Ableton sessions right 
Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's different with every artist, um, what exactly I'm doing. Uh, so for an artist like Kanye, who I toured with for better part of seven years, um, I was doing his music editing, live music playback, vocal effects, auto-tune, all that kind of stuff, um, pitch shifting, distortion in real time during the show, and then also sending out time code for lighting and video. Um, so that was uh, kind of his situation, his unique situation. And basically anytime he would want, you know, any kind of edits or changes in the music, um, I would be the person that would make that happen or take background vocals in or out. Or if there was a guest star that showed up, like if Drake showed up, I would take Drake's first vocals out and let Drake rap or whatever. So just like night to night, just, um, kind of, yeah, just was always different, um, which is cool and fun. And then for an artist like Porter, um, he brought me in to envision his uh, first uh, tour that he wasn't DJing, which was the world's tour. And, uh, you know, as a producer, music producer, he DJed, but he didn't know how to perform it live. So I worked with him to help translate his music and stems into playable bits, uh, whether it was you know, drum sounds, uh, sampled synth sounds, vocal effects, all that kind of stuff and, uh, how it progressed and changed over time throughout his show. And then everything on his show was really synced to lighting and time code as well. So working closely with the video and lighting designers to make sure that everything was synced up. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's freaking awesome. Um, so I guess, I have a question and this is something I think about or used to think about quite a lot because I used to do live shows on Ableton. Um, <clears throat> there's yeah. kind of this point, right, at which you jump across a line where you would start to call it live. Uh, where is that point for you, right? Because like <laughs> obviously um, like uh, somebody who's mixing extremely actively on CDJs could be considered to be doing more than somebody who's doing an Ableton show but just like triggering scenes with their mouse or whatever, right? But it's not necessarily like you would call the the person who's triggering scenes uh, very sort of casually on Ableton a live show, and it's not like you wouldn't call the person who's like going ham on CDJs and scratching on one and like doing a th you know three mixes at the same time and chopping between faders. Like you wouldn't call that not live, right? Like that's so right. <laughs> it's kind of like where where do you draw the line, or where, at what point does a show become live electronic music for you? Because I feel like this is sort of mm. pretty great. Yeah. Area. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a really great area. It's a really good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there are some artists that just literally press play um, and dance around and connect with the crowd, and that's what they do. And uh, maybe they don't have the tools to do a bit more or they don't want to. You know, I've worked with artists and they're like, yeah, I don't necessarily want to do more than this. I just want to have a good time, let people hear the music and have it be what it is. Um, you know, and it's different for every artist. Like for instance, with someone like Kanye, he doesn't, he just doesn't care what I'm doing. He just wants it to sound right. He's not, doesn't, you know, want to come over and press a button or do anything. You know, it's, that's my job. Um, other artists like Porter, he wants to press the buttons. He's the c controlling his spaceship up there. So it's important for him to, be doing different things, um, on stage to show his audience, Hey, I'm making these changes on the fly. I'm, I'm doing this vocal effect in this moment and it's live. It's not from the record. Um, 
you know, I used to kind of really hate on people that were just like standing up there and pressing play and, and dancing around because I was like, you're giving us a bad name because <laughs> we're doing all this work. And, you know, but now I you know, I've kind of see like the art form as as the performance as well. You know, I think it's about the expression of your art and your performance. And, you know, if that if you want to connect with the audience more and do less on Ableton or, you know, whatever software program that you're using live. I think it's great. You know, it's all about the entertainment factor. Are people getting anything out of us? I think that for people like me and in my circle, we're all super nerds and we think, okay, like the people are going to notice when I press this one button and it's going to trigger this amazing effect or this lighting thing or whatever. But a lot of fans in the audience, they don't, they don't care. You know, they're just like, does this sound good? Am I partying with my friends? Am I having a good time? Yes. Okay. Awesome. So it is, it is super gray. I, I mean, I, I've seen people rock, like you said, CDJs and are, are, you know, scratching and doing amazing thing. That's, it's totally live. I think, um, where it gets to be a little less live for me is when, um, artists can use the backing tracks as a crutch, right? So, um, doing playback for all these artists, I've seen everything, right? I've seen, I've worked with artists where they're not singing at all. You know, it's all pre-recorded. We've tuned it and edited it and made it sound all pretty or made it sound not pretty depending. Cause if it sounds too pretty, then it doesn't sound live. So we kind of like have to, you know, fuck it up a little bit. And, um, it just, it, it just depends on the situation, you know, like some artists, uh, they, their voice might be out cause they've been touring night after night, you know, and they're literally just can't sustain anything anymore. They can't sing. And, you know, I get that, right. You can't really just like cancel the show mid tour because the artist's voice went out like this. There's so many moving parts, there's money, you know, it's just like, a, there are these big productions to be, to be had. Um, so, I think there's a time and place for using that stuff. Uh, maybe blending, you know, the pre-recorded vocals with the live vocals, or just like having support for the artists on stage and things like that. But when an artist is just really lazy, and there's also the dancing thing. Let me let me say that too. Artists dance, right? Uh, especially pop artists, you know, especially female pop artists. They're on stage and they're dancing, like. I, it's hard, you know, it's hard to sing and dance. You have to build up your stamina. You have to build all of that up and it is really hard to sound good and, uh, and dance at the same time. So I understand why they would need a little help there, but it's when artists are just like, eh, I'm just going to like rely on this crutch and they're just, you know, lazy. Basically they don't want to practice. They don't want to do anything. They've made it. And, you know, they're, you know, on their way up. I see that all the time. These, these, you know, smaller artists, they get a little bit of a buzz and they're just like on their way up. They don't want to put in the work. You know, they're just like, okay, I got this one song and then they come crashing down. And I've worked with artists like that. Um, so yeah, I just think it's important for artists to put their all into it. And, and look, like I'm not the best singer in the world. I own that, but I don't mind using autotune. I don't mind using these tools. That's what I teach in my transmute program. Like use technology to your advantage, you know, use technology to overcome what limiting beliefs you have about your performance, because at the end of the day, it's all about how you're expressing yourself. And so the, the most that you can do, whether it's, um, you know, working with another person like myself or someone from my team to help you with your show or learning how to do it yourself, 
um, just trying that next step of what's going to make it a little bit more live, I think can be really exciting for emerging artists. Mm. And do you, do you think that um, at some point uh, the liver you go, uh, you sort of take a hit to the sort of quality of sound of your show? Because I, I feel like there's two kinds of shows, right? There's like the sort of dead mouse style show, which is essentially like everything is yeah. like his whole set is sort of like a pre-recorded Ableton set yeah. that all has like MIDI yeah. or sorry, OSC or whatever it is, triggering videos on his cube. And it's essentially like you're watching a like 90 minute really sick product, like produced movie, right? On like just a crazy sound system, mm-hmm. a crazy big cube, shitloads of like sequenced lights and all sorts of stuff. And then he's just sort of up there like with this giant um, touchscreen TV, like doing some effects and stuff. <clears throat> and I know this for a fact because I've been in the cube and I've seen it. And yeah, and it's cool. I mean, I think it's great. Um, you know, like I asked him about this and he was like, well, you don't go at the time it had just come out. And he's like, you don't go see it like the next day and expect a different result, do you? Like, <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I mean, you, he owns it. Like he knows it, that people are coming to watch like a really incredibly like you know, produced movie basically. Um, but the, the result of it yeah. is it's an extremely clean show. Like when you watch it, it's just like perfect. Everything's perfect. It's exactly how he produced it to be. Um, versus if you, you know, say go see a jam band or something like that, it's the complete opposite. <laughs> it's like everything is like, I mean, obviously they've rehearsed, but like everything is sort of winged and there's a lot of, you know, probably mistakes in the playing. And because, you know, every, everything is like slightly off with the, like, you know, humans can never be perfect like a computer can be. So if you have like, you know, slight kicks that are slightly off with snares and basses and shit like that, the mix is always going to be, you know, slightly muddy and whatnot. So, um, but you, like in in that loss that you take in this in the quality of sound and the and the quality of the production, maybe you sort of get this increased performance attribute, and vice versa. It's like if you take away that performance attribute, like someone like Dead Mouse, you get this really increased um, like production attribute, right? Like how how good it sounds and how good it looks. Um, so, do you think about that a lot when you're putting shows together, like that sort of middle point balance, or is that not something you consider too much? Or yeah, you know, it's interesting um, because, you know, like Porter or Dead Mouse, right, uh, their show is programmed, right, is from start to finish, right, because it's about the, the visuals and the lighting just as much as the music, um, if not more, I think. And I think people come to those shows and expect to have this high production value and it's like the wow factor. Um, so it needs to sound good, but it also needs to look good. And leaving things to chance, uh, (laughs) like it it just kind of doesn't work. Uh, You know, people have figured out, yeah, like for instance, um, you know, bass nectar, um, back when he was kind of big and doing his thing, I worked with him, you know, and he had like a very interesting way of being it more improvisational with like max for live and, you know, setting stuff out. And, uh, you know, he didn't want everything to be just like a pre-programmed set. So there are certain ways that you can do it, but that flexibility causes a lot of chaos with the team because it's not just about you. It's about the other 10, 20, you know, depending on your level, all the other team members that are there making these shows happen. And, you know, with a show like Kanye's show, there's 150 people there. So, you know, you want to make a change or like, it's just impossible to just say, 
well, we were very improvisational in a lot of ways. I mean, that's kind of like a whole other animal, but we, we didn't use time code a lot because, uh, because he wanted to be improvisational, but I think with, it's safe, you know, and, and it sucks to say that it's, it's safe to have a pre planned show like that, but it is all about at the end of the day, the experience and not about, you know, did, were you able to like press this button and make this other thing happen now? with my own personal music and at the level that I'm at and the other people in my circle, we'd like to take chances. You know, we like to do the craziest shit and, and like press that button and not know exactly what it's going to do or like what visual is going to come up or, you know, like that's all everything that I'm about and my transmute community is about is like pushing the boundaries of that. But in a larger show is just, it, it can be, um, too much. It could be too much to just change something in the middle. Cause then 10 other people have to change their files and, you know, it just, it becomes chaotic and it, and it might be at the detriment of the show and everyone wants to have a good show because everyone's getting paid because the shows are good. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of would be expecting a lot from the audience, I think, to understand these big technical failures if they occurred, right? Like if a big technical failure occurred because you wanted to like make the show more uh, engaging for the artist. Uh, if everything went down, it's, it's not like people are going to understand like oh, the average person at the show is going to understand, oh, that happened because like the time code got sent into a feedback loop or like some MIDI feedback loop happened because yeah. they wanted some three controllers up there doing some certain things or whatever. <laughs> and it's like you can't, you can't, right, or, or, you can't explain that <laughs> when that happens at a show yeah. to like 10,000 people. <laughs> No, and they don't yeah, care, exactly. you know, it's the difference between the party and, you know, and then, and then performances, you know, like I'm super into like Nils Fromm and like Oliver Arnold's and people like that. And, you know, you go to their show and, and yeah, like I'm sure in the background things are, are pre-programmed, but they give themselves moments. And that's kind of what I'm all about is like the kind of striking that balance between the pre-programmed and then allowing for moments where, you know, especially if you have a band, like, gosh, you want that band to be able to like play and jam and do something new every night. Maybe it's not jam band style, but in the, you know, a, a five minute segment at the end of a song, is just like crazy looping. I mean, that's what I'm all about is like interjecting those moments and everyone knows, okay, at this moment in the show, this is going to happen. We, we might have to go off the script. You know, the video person might have to you know, pull up something else or whatever, uh, lighting might have to do something different. Um, but that's what makes it fun. I think is, is the, the safety of knowing, okay, we have this, this planned moment. It's improv. Everyone who's an artist feels good about the improv because <laughs> artists like to improv. But then at the end of the day, it's still in that container of this beautiful set that everyone knows more or less what is going to happen. Mm, yeah totally yeah i agree that um that those those moments are sort of the only way or the best way to do it i've tried um doing live shows a few times and yeah it seemed to be sort of uh impossible to either make the whole show because here's the thing right it's like a lot of the thing like it's such a hard task to take a piece of music that's been produced electronically that you've spent like hours editing and like putting everything exactly where it should be, setting all of your like compressor release and attack times to be like exactly bespoke to the tempo and the feel of the tune and like all this kind of crazy shit. And then be like, all right, I'm going to undo that like 
20 hours of work that I put into this mix down that makes this track so much better than what it was before it was mixed down, undo all of that work so I can do all that stuff live, right? And then it doesn't really translate the same way that a band who records like guitar, drums, etc., onto, you know, a record translates live because they're sort of doing the same thing either way and with electronic music, there's just so much processing and articulation involved in like, you know, all sorts of shit, filtering, pitch modulation, like all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, I guess I got to a point where I was like, all right, like <laughs> this just doesn't make sense to undo all of that work just so I can be happy on stage or just so I can feel more legitimate about my performance or whatever. So I, I kind of came to the same conclusion of, uh, as you did, which is, I'll sort of let those parts play out and then just like give myself moments where I can do little bits of looping and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah. I think for me, it's just constantly reminding myself. I know that everyone who's listening to this podcast is as nerdy as we are, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Which is great. But then the broader <laughs> scale of the world, our fans that are coming to our shows aren't necessarily caring what is going on in the background you know it's like how does how does the music make them feel how's our energy on stage and I feel like when artists are too much into the technology especially if you haven't practiced with it you know it just it's not an engaging show because the art you can see that the artist is preoccupied with thinking about oh my gosh what went wrong this didn't happen you know this loop messed up like whatever it is Um, and it takes a lot of practice to get to that point where you can be engaged with the audience and, you know, own your stuff on stage. Right. Yeah. Speaking of, um, people listening who are nerds, uh, probably most people (laughs) listening to this. Shout out. (laughs) I would say most people listening to this, uh, podcast are users of Ableton. Um, and a cool fact about you is that you were the first, uh, certified trainer ever, right? I was. Yeah. Uh, so I, when I moved to LA in 2004, my first job was working at this company called M audio, which I'm sure a lot of folks know for the oxygen eight keyboard. And that was just like revolutionary back then. It was like the first small keyboard that you could get. Um, so I worked at M audio, uh, did tech support and I ended up doing like artist tech support, uh, for a while in marketing and, you know, basically all the artists that had issues with the gear, they'd call me or I'd go out to their studio and help them. And so, um, then Ableton was being distributed by M audio, um, at the time. So you got a M audio keyboard, you got a free copy of Ableton live light. You got a, um, interface free copy of Ableton live light. So, I learned how to use the software and I was like, this is amazing. And I got really close with the company and I was doing demos for M audio and Ableton, like at the NAM show and, you know, all these different places. And then in 2007, Ableton uh, decided to take back their distribution. So they're like, okay, thank you. M audio. This has been a great partnership. We're going to do our own thing now. Uh, and I just, I saw where they were going and I w- had become close with Dave Hill uh, who was the manager, um, uh, general manager in the U S and I interviewed and I just said, take me with you. <laughs> so he said, okay. So, uh, yeah, so I was at Ableton. I was their first West coast product specialist. This was, uh, 2007 to 2008. Then in 2008, the economy tanked as we all know, and the, well, in the U S depending on where you're <laughs> listening. And, um, 
yeah, I, that was kind of a tough time because they started to, uh, redo the, the, uh, structure of the company and they decided, okay, we're going to start this certification program. So we actually are getting rid of your job and some other jobs. And, uh, and at first I was really devastated because it was my dream job. And I was kind of like, you know, what other company do I want to work for? I mean, I'd interviewed at different companies and I, but I had this taste of like, being on my own because there was no office here in Los Angeles. So I was just working at my home and I was traveling around the country doing demos at like, you know, the music stores, guitar center, Sam Ash, all that kind of stuff, schools, things like that. So I had this taste of freedom and I couldn't really imagine like going and driving to an office every day again. Uh, So it was actually perfect when they said, well, we're going to make you the first certified trainer um, because you know, I, at that time I didn't know what it meant. I was kind of like, what about my health insurance? You know? <laughs> uh, it didn't really mean anything at that time. It was kind of like, okay, cool. I'm certified, but like, what, it, yeah, where's my next paycheck coming from kind of thing. And, um, I started my company. Then I started freelancing, working with a bunch of different brands and still working with Ableton. And then eventually, like, I think that next year, um, I got a call from Cirque du Soleil and they were like, do you want to move to Vegas for four months and do the Ableton programming and playback on this show called Viva Elvis? And that was really my first kind of real, like big opportunity to work on a show. I had kind of been, you know, performing with different bands and I'd done like a European tour with a, you know, Persian electronic band called Niaz that that year. And, you know, so I'd already been kind of performing and doing, uh, doing stuff, but that was my first like real big break. And it was because I became a certified trainer. And so, uh, they looked on the website, saw that I was in LA, I was close by and that's why they hired me. And, uh, yeah, so that was kind of a, that was big back then for sure. That was like a a big moment. I'm super thankful, you know, to Ableton for all all the opportunities. And from there just launched, you know, my, my brands and my business and, became an entrepreneur. So I also thank them for, um, kind of (laughs) being the catalyst for me to go out on my own and form my own things because, uh, you know, I never considered being an entrepreneur before that. I just kind of felt like I had no other choice than to be an entrepreneur, um, at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the music industry has gone massively in that direction since, right. It's like the kind of the only way to make all the only way for like 99% of musicians to make it these days, uh, is pretty much to be an entrepreneur. And I guess the other 1% either get massive yeah. like Porter or Kanye or whatever. And then the other, I mean, like out of that 1%, probably like 1% of that 1% or, or something get, get really big. And then the other 99% of that 1%, I guess maybe just get, you know, jobs programming plugins or something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of great jobs in the industry too. I mean, some people really like the structure. I mean, some, some days I'm like, I wish I just had a job because <laughs> entrepreneurship is hard. <laughs> it's never ending, you know? Yeah, um, you to, but yeah, there's so many jobs. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, being an entrepreneur, you kind of have to come up with a bunch of techniques to keep yourself, um, what's the word, like disciplined, I guess. And yeah, yeah you have to... <laughs> kind of under yeah it's it's uh, I guess frustrating slash overwhelming I think a lot of the time to wake up as an entrepreneur and be like if I don't do anything nothing will happen whereas like if you wake up and have a job I feel like you can wake up and be like 
I'm not the one who has to worry about if anything's happening or not. I get a paycheck either way and there should just be some work on my totally. desk to do and that can sometimes <laughs> feel, I guess, yeah. That, that sometimes, yeah, I understand the feeling completely. Yeah, it's definitely a trade-off for sure. I mean, there, like I said, there's some days where I'm like, okay, I wish I just had a job. But at the end of the day, I'm really happy with what I've built and you know the the way that my lifestyle is is awesome I have amazing people around me so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it but it's just you know when you get that overhead and you, <laughs> you got all these people to pay it just can become some sometimes stressful but it always works out so that's the cool part I ha- have that belief that it always works out and um so it's it's fun it's fun because I realize that like I get got to create my world. Um, and I've created my brands, electronic creatives and transmute and, you know, my personal brand just from like literally wanting to create something that I wanted to be a part of, uh, cause I didn't see that in the world and it's super niche. <laughs> uh, but I think the people that are in the niche are like, you know, resonating with it, which is cool. Mm. So wait, could you explain to me and also to listeners like what exactly your hustle is yeah. these days? I yeah. guess uh, for lack of a better <laughs> totally. word, I, I don't know what else to call it. Like I, that's how I describe what yeah, I do. Yeah, like, the hustle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so currently, um, you know, we're in 2021 right now. We're still in this pandemic. Um, currently, my hustle is creating music. Um, I, as an artist, um, been working, I just finished an EP, uh, doing some licensing stuff with that and writing music for different brands, um, doing like videos, uh, for social media on showing products and different things that I'm using. Uh, so yeah, so there's the, the music creation licensing, um, there is the brand stuff. There's appearances um, on various Zoom uh, festivals and whether it's performing or talking. Um, so I do a lot of appearances for either like schools or different platforms or, you know, tech conferences, things like that. Um I have my Transmute Academy, which is uh, my platform for creatives to learn how to use technology to advance their live performances. So for folks that want to learn how to use Ableton Live and all the crazy stuff. And as you know, we just had Beardy Man on uh, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> which nice. was really cool. Yeah, and then he was I, on I just, your podcast. Yeah, and <laughs> dude, yeah he's, he's amazing. His live setup is so amazing. Nuts. I think like him and Iodo, I feel like are the only two people that I know of at least who have really figured out like how to make their electronic music just 100% live. I, and when I say 100% totally. live, I mean like they get on stage and, and literally anything can happen with the way that they've set stuff up. More, right. more so Beardy Man, I guess, because he's generating a lot of the sounds with his mouth. But and Iodo, yeah. I guess, is sort of somewhat reliant on like pre pro like preloaded samples to some degree, but uh-huh. um, yeah, I mean, it's it's so impressive to me whenever I <clears throat> see a setup where somebody has like actually solved the problem of making live electronic music. I'm always like, what? You did it. That You did the thing that I could not figure out how to do. <laughs> 
yes, well, I've spent all these years dissecting all these performances and, you know, working with all these different people and distilling it into my transmute program. Mm. So that's, that's where all that stuff. And and it's really like a place where, you know, I just want like the nerdiest, weirdest artists like, like Darren Beardy man to come through and, um, and share their processes because our community is just like amazing and so open to, to sharing and, so I've been building that up over the past couple of years and we've got different, you know, free masterclasses and courses and then the Transmute Accelerator, which is like a full year program with me and my team. And it's like the super all in version of like, yes, I want to hang, I want to learn and tons of content, you know, I've been recording it's like 30, 40 hours of content, <laughs> how to build your live performance. So, um, yeah, so all that's in, in transmute Academy. Um, so that's another kind of part piece of the, the pie for me. Um, and then pre COVID I was doing live performances. So like people would hire me to come do live performance at a retreat or different events or festivals or whatever. This was all under the Um, name Alex, right? This was, yeah, previously. Yeah. So, um, Alex was my moniker from like 2011 to 2017. So, uh, then I started, no, 2018. So I started going back again, uh, by my name in 2018, just, I was like, you know, I have, I'm a multi-passionate person. (laughs) So I have all these different things going on and compartmentalizing it all is just too hard. And also Alex was like a character that I'd created and it was really fun to hide behind that character for a little while. But then I just was like, you know, I just want to be myself and like be who I am. And, uh, so that felt really good. It feels really authentic to me now to just be like, okay, yeah, this is the music that I make. I also do these other things and this is who I am. Cause I, I kind of had this, like, I thought that people would be confused. Right. And I was thinking more about what other people would think. I was like, okay, th- what if they're confused? Cause I'm working with, you know, Kanye or I'm doing this and then I'm also an artist and I'm making <laughs> music. But then I, I just threw all that out. I'm like, you know, uh, just whatever I want to do. And I think that's been really serving me. So that's great. And, um, yeah, I kind of, yeah. The, so releasing, oh, sorry, go go on. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I kind of do the same thing. Like when I scored that movie, I just put my name under the credits as Mr. Bill. And like, whenever I do presets for a plugin, I just put my name as Mr. Bill. Or like whenever I release music it's Mr. like I just put it all under just Mr. Bill like I don't yeah and I've thought about switching over to just my name which is Bill Day but I feel like Mr. Bill works it's fine um but yeah I kind of agree that when you're a multi-faceted person as you say and some somebody who likes to do a bunch of different stuff it does get confusing to like start creating a bunch of pseudonyms because then all of a sudden like you said you have to like mentally compartmentalize all of that when you're working as well. And I feel like it's kind of like a creative problem when you're like, all right, like, what am I working on right now? Is this Alex or is this, uh, yeah. or is this Laura Escude or is like, what is this? <laughs> and it starts to become this whole, like, who am I creativity type, uh, identity problem or something. Uh, totally. I feel like when I made that decision, it had been in the back of my mind for a while and I, went to this uh, retreat with Byron Katie, which is a whole other story, but, uh, she's like a thought work 
uh, teacher, she, her main prompt is, is it really true? So it was like, what we're thinking really true. And so I went down like the deep rabbit hole of just like, you know, going within myself and my mind. And, and I, when I emerged from that, I was like, okay, I'm feeling called to just like, let this go. And I, and I, and a lot of like the mental space that I was using to like compartmentalize and worry and think about it just went away. Just like, as soon as I made the decision, I was like, okay, this is the right decision for me. I don't have to think about which, you know, how am I answering this or from, you know, what are people calling me or like what interview is asunder? Cause at the end of the day, like when people are interviewing me, especially like written, uh, they want to know about working with these artists. They want to know about what I'm doing as an artist. They want to know about all of it. So yeah, I think before like things were, people were a little bit more one dimensional and now it's really cool because people are able to be more multidimensional with the age of social media. Mm. I also feel like, uh, COVID has kind of made people, uh, sort of forced people to be more multidimensional, right? It's like, okay, shows were your only thing and making bangers were your only thing. It's like, good luck making it in the music industry now. So I feel like a lot yeah. of people, unless they were like pretty huge before COVID and had a ton of money saved, um, most yeah. artists these days who are kind of living week to week or month to month, just on the shows that they had those months, um, have really had to adapt in these, like either by getting jobs, which is sad or by, uh, just adapting to being more of a hustler and, and, uh, uh, you know, doing live streams and, you know, doing all sorts of other like brandy type stuff. So for, for instance, um, my buddy Supercilious, I saw started a t-shirt shop earlier, uh, this year and, or was it last year? I don't know. He started like this t-shirt shop. That's really funny. It's called the super if you want to check it out. And, um, there's just a bunch <laughs> of like weird shirts on there. Like one is, uh, the Seinfeld logo, but instead of saying Seinfeld, it says unified field and like, Another one is um, a picture of Larry David uh, just, like, pulling a face. And uh, are you familiar with Curb Your Enthusiasm? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, it's a picture of Larry David, and it just says, pretty, pretty, pretty lights. (laughs) 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 Oh, it's so cute. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, So it's just, like, a a bunch of, like, book jokes on shirts and stuff. And I, I, I thought that was, like, a pretty clever way to adapt to, to making money through through quarantine oh my gosh I, there's yeah people are doing such creative things for sure it's really exciting to see and um yeah I mean the the whole like shows thing uh definitely like one part of my business with electronic creatives like that completely obviously shut down <laughs> as soon as COVID hit it was like in one day it was like lost all of our tours this is insane um as did everyone else. Uh, but so that part of my business, um, is a music playback and touring company. So after I was touring for a bit, I started getting all these calls for people to, uh, with artists, management companies wanting me to work with them. And I didn't have the bandwidth cause I was mostly touring with Kanye at that time. So I started training different people to work for electronic creatives and go out and do these shows. And, um, so I kind of had spent the last, you know, 10 years building that up and training more people and, you know, doing these big, um, training events. And so having like the education side of my business and already kind of being focused on the artistry of live performance rather than 
the programming of the live performance was, I think, great for me as when COVID hit because I just kind of pivoted, went over here, started focusing on Transmute, started focusing more on some of these other initiatives and things that I'm doing. And so it, it, I, I'm not going to say it hasn't been hard because, you know, I lost a lot of money last year <laughs> because of uh, COVID in the business and, you know, doing my taxes this year. I'm like, OK, this is real, you know, but at the same time, I know that things are going to come back and be great and uh, and I'm not worried about it. Like I just as an entrepreneur, I think I just always just ha have to have this belief that everything is going to work out, whether it's financially or, you know, the path that I'm on. And this past year, I've just tried to get more clear about what it is that I want and the path that I'm on and how does that serve me? And, you know, it feels good to have had the time and energy and, and space to kind of chill and, and think about this. And what do I want to be? What what do I want to have? And how do I want to emerge once this is over? Right. Yeah. I feel like a lot of artists are thinking that way. It's kind of like, when are you ever going to have this forced break? So it's kind of like, right. you know, when, when are you ever going to get another forced year in the studio? You know, so it's kind of like a good right. opportunity to spend this time trying to come up with, yeah, trying to really just figure out what it is that you, you wanted to ever do in the studio. Cause like now is kind of the time, um, yeah, during totally. quarantine. I mean, I imagine, especially like now that vaccines are starting to roll out that artists, uh, are like bigger artists are probably starting to think about like doing like shows again, right? Like they're, they're, they're kind of aware, I think, or they must be aware that shows are going to happen in the next probably 12 months to, you know, maybe six to 12 months, let's yeah. say. Um, so are you starting mm -hmm. to get sort of calls from artists again at this point of people being like, hey, uh, can we start developing a live show for when quarantine is over or is the phone still not ringing on that? End? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've had like some, we definitely had, a f you know, some gigs, right, in the past year. It hasn't been completely dead. Like, for instance, we did, uh, the DNC convention, uh, we were on the campaign trail with, you know, common who was performing at the show. And, uh, you know, one of my guys, Greg was out doing that. And, um, we've done some things, you know, like with Ariana or, you know, just like various different artists that have kind of popped up where it's like a shooting or, you know, like a TV taping where it's not live, live, but they need to, everyone needs to go into studio and record the thing. So it's kind of been just things here and there. Um, things have seemed like they're starting to pick up. Um, we did have a couple of tours on the books for this summer, which are now pushed. I think, you know, right now the general consensus is I, I just see things popping up for a year from now, you know, 2022. I think, that's when the real touring is going to start again. But I do think, you know, I think that New York just passed a, uh, something saying that clubs can be 30% occupied or whatever. So I think things are starting to open back up in a really safe way, obviously. And I think we will see shows happening more. I just wonder, like, financially, you know, how, how, people are going to make it work, you know, with, with not being able to operate at full capacity until it is kind of that, that moment. Um, so it's interesting. I'm enjoying seeing how things are opening back up and I, and I look forward to seeing how it plays out, um, for sure.
Right. And when you say, um, you're not sure how people are going to operate financially, do you mean more so from like the promoters slash venue perspective? Or do you mean from the punters like perspective, people actually going to the show? I think like, like the promoters and then also like having, you know, having the level of a show that the artists had before them, it's expensive, you know, especially mm. at that, that higher level. Right. So, so you can't if they're not getting 30%. paid as much. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the one yeah. thing I learned from doing the live show that I did is, um, I, this, I did this like years and years ago at this point. And I had a 35 show tour or something that grossed like $34,000. So it was like slightly less than a thousand bucks a show. Um, so there was like not a lot of gross to work with. And I basically blew it all on like a projector and like some big inflatable yeah. to like project onto. <laughs> and um, then had to pay like my band, uh, my band, which was just a drummer. And then uh, had to pay like visual artists to come with me and had to hire a van and like all this shit. So I ended up like, going yeah. negative like five grand or whatever and then on top of that like didn't get to sleep in hotels the whole time so it was like pretty uncomfortable yeah. to do and that was with uh clubs being able to be f as full as we wanted them to be <laughs> um or as right. full as we could get them really and uh yeah yeah i can't imagine like artists trying to make something work with any sort of you know production value on 30 percent full clubs Totally. Yeah. It's gotta be hard for sure. I mean, I think, you know, hearing you say that uh, it, it makes sense to me, you know, people think, Oh, everyone's making all this money, right. Even like at the high level, but then when you consider all the people that have to be paid and the props and, you know, all the, the tour buses and all the stuff, it's expensive, you know, I mean that there's a reason why there's budgets. <laughs> like, so, um, but when I hear you say that, uh, like I bought a projector and, you know, I'm like that too. I, I like all the money that I've made working with these big artists, I just funnel it into, you know, like my unreal engine setup or, you know, just like all of the weird stuff that I do for my live show, because that's what fuels me. And that's what drives me. And like, I think, you know, at the end of the day, like I'm not in this for the money. <laughs> like I think most people that are like us aren't in this for the money. And yeah, it's great to make it and we need to make it. And that's awesome. But it's about expressing ourselves and it's about the art. Um, so I think it's cool, you know, when you say like, yeah, I lost money because that's real. Like I've lost money too. I've done like my own tours or, you know, like open for different people. And it's been that same kind of scenario. It's not cushy. <laughs> well, I'm losing money. I've spent money, uh, just to have all of the bells and whistles that I want in the show. And, you know, it takes that, it takes, it takes that, um, in order for you to elevate your art, um, to a certain point. And then, yeah, hopefully at a certain point, people will resonate enough and things will start to get going where, you won't have to pay uh, for the projector because <laughs> you'll uh, have it there when you roll up to the venue or whatever it is. It's just like there's definitely levels. And I think, um, you know, it's exciting that during this time because we've been having a chance to incubate on our art and what that is and how we um, show that to the world and how we convey that. And I just think that when things come back, there's going to be so many people like raring to go. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Um yeah, one, the other thing I'm concerned about is just like people, uh, 
like punters going to shows are they going to have the money to do it as well i mean the stimulus checks that are about to be sent out and stuff like that so maybe stuff like that will help reboot the economy a bit but i mean there's probably a lot of people out there right now who are you know struggling to month to month just to pay rent and a lot of people who are probably even you know going homeless and stuff like that um which is kind of yeah yeah shitty but um yeah hopefully the I, I'm hoping that, yeah, the, the scene just bounces back. But, I, yeah, I think it might be a little while before it gets back to where it was. But, I mean, who knows, right? Like it could overnight just be like, all right, everyone's vaccinated, bam, 10,000 show, 10, people shows happening yeah. again at Red Rocks. And, you know, what? who knows? I mean, yeah. it's possible. Wooks have always yeah. seemed to make it work. So <laughs> Totally. Yeah, I mean, miracles, <laughs> they do happen. I think after... The shitty year that we've had um, everyone's wanting a miracle or a bunch of miracles to happen so um but you know if if you're listening to this and you have been struggling uh financially with your work just like just keep going i mean try to like find whatever you need to 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 pay your bills but um don't lose sight of what it is that you really are dreaming of because um it's it's definitely possible if you um, just hold that belief. Cause I, I, I kind of feel like in the past I wasn't as um, positive, right. Or I just d- didn't believe in myself enough to, to do what I wanted to do and just like slowly changing those beliefs have, have helped me. And so it's been rough for, you know, it's been rough for everyone, um, this past year, there's varying levels of that. So I think it's important to just kind of still keep positive, even though that sounds corny, <laughs> but tell yourself, you know, like, this is what, like, get really clear on what it is that you're meant, meant to do and how you want to share that with the world and just continue to do it just little bit by bit. Yeah. I think that's the important bit is like, just trying to be clear with yourself about what you're trying to do. Like, for instance, that tour that I did that I said, I came out of really negative, um, and also just didn't have a good time doing, I, sort of came out of that tour just being like you know what like people because I thought like oh I would do that tour the shows would be like really cool because of all the production that I was doing and all the effort that I'd put in that people would sort of see how cool that show was and then want to come to my next shows and my office would go up and all that kind of stuff right um but I did that tour and then I had offers coming in for my next tour and they were like lower than the offers that I would that I'd just gotten for that tour right (laughs) and then I was like all right well, if that's the case, uh, I'm not going to bring production anymore. Like there's no point. I can't like be getting less money and doing that. So, uh, I just started DJing basically. Cause I was like, it seems like people don't give a shit either way. And really where, right. where my, uh, ideals are is in making tunes, right? Like that's what I really enjoy doing is actually making the tunes. I really don't like paying the playing the tunes out for me is sort of like a means to an end to just write more music. It like kind of playing a show just earns me more time in the studio. Um, yeah. So I kind of started to look at it that way. And that's when I was like, you know what, I, I'm just going to DJ until I like at least get to a point where I feel like I'm, I can comfortably make some sort of uh, live situation work on a budget and not be totally uncomfortable and also not walk away from it with less money than I started with. <laughs> that's the goal yeah. that's the goal oh my gosh yeah I, I've just I've done so many shows where I've I've spent more money than I've made um, because I wanted it to look and sound a certain way and I don't regret it at all but 
at a certain point, like you said, you, you realized you like being in the studio and that's your thing. Right. And so the more clear that you get about what it is that is your calling or what you're meant to do, or where you're happy or where you light up the most, then just stick with that. You know, like for instance, there's just all these, you know, there's, for me, it's like Twitch. Like everyone's like, why don't you have a Twitch channel? I'm like, cause that's another thing <laughs> for me to do. And I just am not excited about it right now. And just, I could have just have pushed and tried to make one and been on there every week and doing the thing. But, you know, I have my community. I'm happy with what my offerings in there and, that's just kind of where I'm at right now. So I think spreading yourself too thin, you know, it can be a thing for sure. Something to look out for. Oh, totally. Yeah. The, I, I am like a bit, yeah, I have a huge problem with that. I feel like it's tough though, when you get some cool offers, right? Like for instance, I get offers all the time to do presets for plugins and I get offers like yeah. all the time to, you know, do some, do X with Y company or whatever. And I always find it really tough to be like, uh, you know, I don't really want to, um, you know, download this cool plugin that you have and make 50 sounds for it. <laughs> it's like, I can't say no to that job. Um, right. so, <laughs> but yeah, I've started to realize recently that if I ever want to get my new album finished, I have to start saying no to those jobs. Right. Right. Totally. No, absolutely. I mean, I've been saying no as well to, to more things, which, you know, it's hard because you, I, I have wanted to be all things to all people. Yes. I'll be there. I'll talk, I'll inspire. I'll do it. But like, you know, especially during this pandemic, there's been so many like free events for people to check out, um, to help people with their artistry or business or whatever, which I think is great and it's amazing. And I've really enjoyed being a part of these things, but I kind of found for a while, it was just like, wow, I've been doing so many free zoom appearances, like <laughs> that I don't have any time for my music or producing my EP or whatever. So, um, I, so I started saying no to things that weren't, you know, really fully aligned and you know, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to do that. Cause Everyone, there's a lot of awesome well, you, people you out get there a, doing cool you get things. FOMO, <laughs> I guess, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's FOMO. There's definitely FOMO, but it's more just like, you know, you don't want to disappoint anyone who holds you in high regard, or you know, it's or it could be an opportunity to like talk about my program or talk about this, which could potentially lead to more people joining but i don't right. know or i mean you like know, in your case like you <laughs> have taken certain opportunities that have led you to you know do live shows for some really big artists you know i mean obviously those live th those opportunities like becoming an ableton certified trainer were more clearly aligned with what you want to do in the first place but it's always hard to say right like when some opportunity is going to result in <clears throat> some other crazy thing it's been multiple times yeah. in my career where i've just taken like one thing and all of a sudden it's led to some other crazy job that I really enjoyed and found really rewarding. Absolutely. I mean, people always ask me like, should I become certified? And you know, how do I get to where you're at? And like there, it's not linear, you know, there's no linear path where you're like, okay, do this. Then you do this. Like when I first started getting into music technology, I had no idea what I was doing, you know, as all of us do in the beginning. And I had no idea that I would end up doing what I'm doing now. And it's literally been just 
putting one foot in front of the other in these different opportunities with, with people who are like, Hey, do you want to like do this gig or tr- do the show and saying yes. And then hoping that I don't fall flat on my face. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. Um, I've been eyeing this controller off on your board all call. Um, oh. Is that a, a Harkin oh, audio fingerboard? No, the Harkin audio one. The con- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The continuum. Yes, the continuum mini. Yeah. yeah, those things are sick. Yeah, I've played with one once. It's so sick. Uh, it was Spoonbill's one, I think, is what I the one I play with. Um, nice. How does it work? Because I mean, I played with it one evening for like ten minutes, and from what I understand, it's like some big, I don't know, like touchpad that probably works by some sort of mm, magnet. I don't know. It's like a multi-touch pad, right? Like you can put multiple fingers on it uh-huh. and there's yeah. just a bunch of presets in there, like sounds and samples and stuff that are preloaded into it. Is that correct? Or, or is mm-hmm. it a... Yeah, so it's a... Or is it a... It's, it's a, a synth. synth. Okay. Yeah, it's a synth and a controller um, and it's MPE, which is really, really great. Um, so the sounds are amazing, like just incredible. Uh, the reason why I got it is because my friend Randy George, he made the software called MIDI Merlin. Um, and I use that to play the continue mini with my violin. Uh, so I have an electric violin and I run that through another computer system, um, when I'm performing live and basically I'm playing the synth expressively. Uh, with the violin. So it's, it's insane. Like they (laughs) built a bunch of software that's, um, kind of custom to this specific thing and, um, and it works really well and it converts the audio to MIDI in real time really well. And it works with my vibrato and he's a thereminist. So he's really familiar with vibrato. So, um, yeah, so I use the continue mini for that purpose to, um, basically just control it live. Mm. Yeah, I was going to buy one of these after I played with Spoonbill's one because I was like, man, this is the most fun I've had uh, using a controller or a synth in a long time. I couldn't tell whether it was a sampler or a synth. All I knew is it had like multi-capacitive touch and every time I like clicked to the next preset or whatever, it was just all of them were so fun to play with. And I was like, what the fuck is this thing? Like I couldn't tell what it was. Um, And then I looked into it and I was like, "Uh, it's like a thousand bucks. I don't know if I really want to spend a thousand bucks on a cool toy that I probably won't use for like yeah. really anything else other than playing with because it's fun but they are super fun to play yeah. with it's like one of the most fun pieces of hardware I've played with in a long time definitely yeah Hawken Audio uh, just like they've been around doing the MPE thing long before MPE was cool right <laughs> uh, so it's it's really interesting now especially with like Live 11 and MPE and all these other controllers that are popping up but um, the fact that there are these really expressive sounds within the hardware makes such a difference. Um, it's not just a controller. It's just, like you can literally just plug it in and it sounds like a insane, just huge, wide sound. Um, it's, it's, it's great. Recommend. Highly recommend. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Does Live 11, do you think, open up any new uh, crazy options for live shows? A lot of people have been asking me that. I'm like, ah. Um, I mean, obviously the the new follow action stuff is really cool. And, 
you know, being able to randomize that, I think that's pretty much the main also thing probably that I've seen. Presets, right? Like the fact you can. Yeah, the macro snapshots, stuff. Yeah. Snapshots. Yeah. I mean, that's still, t- in my eyes, a little limited right now just because you can't. Um, program right. the yeah, snapshots. It's sort of annoying. I was like kind of hoping you could yeah. attach it to an LFO or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, they just need to go one one next level. Right. But then of course there's, you know, CliffX and all different kinds of stuff that you can use to do basically whatever you want. But um yeah, I would say that those features are probably the the latest and greatest for me in terms of live performance stuff. Mm. Yeah, I think the thing that I've been enjoying most about Live 11 is the fact that they added scales to MIDI clips. That's yes. just something that I have found so useful. Like I don't know music theory super well, but I know like if I'm writing a track in D minor, right? Or I know like if I'm writing a track in E major, like I can I know that much. So it's just really helpful for me to be like, all right, this is D minor, just like put D in the MIDI clip and then just pick from a random scale and start playing around and see if it sounds correct. And it's like, I would, I'm starting to like write music in you know, particular scales and getting chord progressions and melodies and all sorts of stuff out of, uh, out of it that I would never have normally thought to do without this feature, I think. Totally. Yeah. There's a lot of smart stuff. It's definitely a lot of production, uh, based stuff, which is cool. Mm. You know, a lot, of, I think in the beginning it was like Ableton live, it was more of a live performance tool. And now it's definitely become, you know, but both, you could use it for both, but, uh, they've been really focused on the production features. Mm. Now it's Ableton live. <laughs> <laughs> we live for yeah. Ableton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have a new favorite device in Ableton? probably the reverb Hybrid reverb, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh just being able to like load your own samples in there i think is really cool and mm-hmm. um yeah i think that i mean obviously just like all the mp stuff is you know insane to be able to use after all these years um so any any mpe device <laughs> in ableton is 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 awesome now um <laughs> just because of what we kind of had to go through before with programming that making the 16 channels Mm. or like porting the audio from another program or the standalone version of the MPE software into live. Um, so now that it's all just like natively in there, it's just like, yay. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't messed around with MPE quite enough, but it does open up some cool options to be able to like pitch bend multiple notes in a chord it's like you can pitch bend them all oh, to like yeah. blend into some whole new chord and stuff. And I really want to mess around with that more for sure. I think my favorite device in uh, Ableton 11 is Spectral Resonator on granular mode. That, like you get all these really oh, yeah, yeah, nice yeah. additive sounding spectral harmonics out of it. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. The um, I was just checking out the Dylan Bastion's Inspired by Nature Oh, uh, yeah. The tree thing. Is- yeah. That, yeah, <laughs> that thing is cool. Um, yeah, I checked out the, the, the tree one where you like click it and it like generates a new tree looking thing every time or whatever. Yeah. That guy yeah. makes some crazy We're going to actually shit. have his, um, I know. His I- Iota I know. plugin, the mul- like you can just select multiple parts of a sample with like all these windows and like, yeah, he, mm-hmm. he makes crazy shit. Does he work for Ableton or is do they just like kind of solicit him to make some Max devices? 
I don't think he works for Ableton exact. No, he doesn't. But he does live in Berlin now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think he just works closely with the company. And uh, we're actually going to have him in my transmute program as a guest in a couple of months. So I'm really excited about that. Oh, that's awesome. The um, weirder the better. <laughs> right. So, so trans electronic creatives is um, your company that does like all the live show stuff for artists and transmute is kind of mm. like um, your equivalent of, I guess, what my hardcore Ableton is thing would be, except you do like a call every week or every month or something like that. Um, how yeah, to, there's different levels. Yeah, right. How do people get involved with that? Because um, that sounds super interesting with some of the guests that you have. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, it's actually it's exciting because we had our community on Facebook, but then uh, <laughs> I don't know. In the last year, I just become more and more disenchanted with having everything over there, as a lot of people are. Um, so we found this platform called Mighty Networks, and we built the Transmute Academy over there. So it's basically a free community for anyone who wants to come and join us. And people are talking about live performance stuff. Mostly there's a lot of production stuff as well, but we're mostly focused on live performance. Um, and it's free to join and be a part of the community. And then we've got some free courses in there. I just released my course on live 11, which is free and intro to live streaming, which is free. So there's some free courses or some paid courses. And then, yeah, I think the meat of it is really, uh, the, the calls and like the meetings that we have because our community has been growing stronger and stronger, which is really cool. And so once th- once a month we have a brand, uh, spotlight, like yesterday we had Isotope on and they came and showed a bunch of their products. Um, and then we've got, we have two master classes with various artists like Beardy Man or like we're having Alicia, um, next week. And so, yeah, just different people from artists from the industry that, that are live performers, uh, that want to show their stuff. We have them on. And then there's the accelerator, which is like, a if folks want to go all in and join for a whole year, basically you get like all of our content from the library, you get, go, get to go to the master classes. There's one to two calls a week, depending on the week. So we'll have just like Ableton workshops, um, once a week with different people from my team. Um, we also have like creative empowerment calls. So it's like, it's much more than just like Ableton stuff. It's like how to, um, evolve as an artist, um, and bring that awareness to what you're doing. Cause I think that that's really important, especially on my journey as an artist. Um, and then I host a, a monthly mastermind class where we go over all of our goals and hold people accountable. And so the beginning of the month, folks are like, I want to do this by the end of the month. And we just hold them accountable to it. So yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool thing. It's, I mean, I, I would say if, if you're listening, and you want to get started, just pop into the Academy. It's free. And then you'll get to know the, the lay of the land and kind of hang out. But yeah, I've tried different models over the years. Um, and kind of have just been building, building it in different ways. And now the pieces are all together where it's all in one place. That feels really good. Nice. Um, yeah. Have you watched the show Nathan for you? No. So there's this guy, Nathan Fielder. He's like pretty funny. Um, and okay. a, yeah, it's a really cool show. Uh, <clears throat> and he basically tries to help struggling businesses to do better. And oh. one of his things is like, uh, I'll, uh, like teach you a technique basically to stay accountable f- 
for like some work that you want to get done by the end of the month. And the way he does it yeah. is takes a photo of himself like naked in a hot dog suit and then gives it to a notary and basically says, if I don't bring you like <laughs> X amount of work by this time, then you like send this to my parents or whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Yeah, you should start implementing that in the transmute course. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's cool. That's that great, um, yeah. It's cool that you have like an accountability system. I feel like that's super helpful for sure because yeah. one thing about, um, you know, doing work by yourself uh, this is another one of those like entrepreneurial sort of trickiness yeah. things to get over is you're not accountable to anyone it's you know you sort of if nothing happens yep. n- there's no problem if nothing happens for anybody else except for you really right um so if you if you sort of create a system where a bunch of people are relying on you to have a thing done then it can definitely give you the kick in the ass that you need to make sure you get something done by X date. And I think uh, having set dates to get work done by uh, in in any work, but especially in creative work, is super useful. And I've talked about this a bit on the podcast, but I think um, something that's really interesting is just uh, the sort of phenomenon of how many assets or how much... Um, how much stuff will get attributed to a project, right? So like, for instance, if, and it's the same with like desk space, right? Like if, if my desk space is this big, I will just have that many objects on my desk. But if my desk is smaller, (laughs) I'll just have less objects on my desk, right? Like it's like whatever I assign to a problem is like how much that problem will take up. And the same can be seen in civil engineering. The example I always give is like bridges. If a civil engineer says, uh, you have, or the, sorry, if a government says to us to an engineer, you have two million dollars to build this bridge, then the engineer will build a two million dollar bridge. But if the government says, here's half a million dollars to build a bridge, the engineer will just build a half a million dollar bridge, right? It's like however much they get assigned right. to do the thing is however much the thing is going to take. Um, and the way that this is pertaining back to creative work is if you assign yourself an infinite amount of time, or just you don't assign yourself an amount of time, then a piece of creative work will just take an infinite amount of time and you'll never be done with it. But if you assign yourself like a week, then you'll get a track done in a week. It's like whether or not oh, yeah. it's a good track, it's like it'll still, you allotted yourself that much time and that's how much time <laughs> it will take. You know? Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah, recently I um, I signed with a new distributor for my music, Alpha Pup. And oh yeah, said, Big Daddy well, Kev. Uh, yes, yeah, shout out Daddy Kev. Um, and... He said, you know, you could submit your EP at any time, but like if you wanted it to be um, considered for more things, submit it on this date so that we can, you know, send it with the rest of the, the, the music for Q2. Right. And, and I just have been used to like just releasing stuff whenever it comes, you know, like doing my own thing, being an independent artist and to have that, um, that deadline, really worked for me because he said, okay, we need it by this date. And I said, okay. And I just went into full gear. And for that week, I didn't do anything. This was actually last week. I didn't do anything except for finish this EP. But without that deadline, I don't know that I would have, I would have just kind of kept tinkering with it and doing this and that. So having a cutoff date really helps for me, helps Mm. me. Well, the problem with creative work is, um, it's like the goalposts keep moving, right? Like your, your ideals of what is the good in music always changes. So 
Like today I might think, oh, this amount of luffs is good and this amount of high frequencies is good and this specific sound from Zebra and this specific drum sound from this pack is good. But then, you know, in a month from now, I might be like, what was I thinking? Like the drums from that pack are ass and like, you know, this fucking mm-hmm. Zebra preset, like why <laughs> I could make my own. And then like, how, why am I writing music at this amount of luffs? That's way too loud. That's compressing it way too much. Right. I should turn, like, And my ideals will change, right? The goalposts move. And therefore, um, you'll just constantly be chasing your ideals if you just never cut a date off to finish it because they keep moving, totally. right? So you'll just constantly be trying to shift the piece of music with your ideals. <laughs> and it's um, yeah. So I think it's important to sort of cut yourself off as well for that reason. Yeah, it reminds me of that meme. It was like, uh, I started making music, uh, but then I decided I need to, wanted to make my own drum sounds. And then I decided that I wanted need to make the drum. And then I decided that I needed, to, you know, and it was like at the it's end, like a there goat farmer, a goat farmer. Yeah. He's like, I haven't really made much music with all the goat farming that I've been doing. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so true. You can go down these rabbit holes. I've to, myself to included, you know, like, I, um, I, sorry, can you hear my gardener? They're they're coming in the background. I can't really hear them. Okay, okay, cool. Um, getting distracted now, sorry. Um. I can hear them now. That's some. Yeah, it's like really loud. (laughs) That's fine. It shouldn't be. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, like, like for instance with like Max programming, um, for a time, I started to get into it, you know, and then I was like, this is great. This isn't me. I know a lot of brilliant people that can make this patch in two seconds. And for me, it's going to take me days to like learn how to make a sine wave or whatever. <laughs> so there's certain things where I've like started to go down rabbit holes and realized like, OK, this is not aligned with me. But then there are certain people that love that and they live for that. Right. And there's people that can create music and can do that like that guy Dylan or many other people that we know so I think it's it's cool like when you figure out both things that really align with who you are and your personality and it's not a rabbit hole and then it is it's also cool when you find realize this is a rabbit hole that I should not go down because I'm not (laughs) going to make any music if I do (laughs) yeah I feel the same way about programming I've tried to get into JavaScript and Python and all sorts of shit like for instance Mm. um I tried to get into Node.js recently because there's a device, uh, sorry, a, an object in Max uh, that allows you to just straight up write JavaScript in there. So technically, you don't have to learn Max at all if you know how to write JavaScript. Um, and JavaScript right. is just more uh, flexible, right? Like you can do more things with it. So I was like, if I learn JavaScript, I've both learned JavaScript and Max. <laughs> um, like for instance, my girl, my girlfriend Azuki, who made like the Splitter device, and who made um, uh, she made a bunch. She's made a bunch of Max devices. Uh, she she nice. just makes them all by writing Node.js because she's really good at JavaScript. And then she basically just attaches the input to the Node.js object, and then the Node.js object to the output, and the Max device works. Um, and oh she just she just uses the Node.js object or whatever as like a crutch to make these devices. But yeah, I totally agree. And I feel I felt the same way about live shows, right? Where um, when I started going down that hole a lot, I was like, "Fuck!" I spent like six months of this year building live shows and playing the show out, and that could have been six months that I spent on writing an album, which I probably much would have preferred yeah. to spend my time that way. 
Although, like, I don't regret totally. having done that to figure out that about myself. And I also don't regret having that experience. Obviously, it was, like, a very good learning experience. And, you know, having that memory uh, in my brain is nice to, like, you know, reminisce on and all that kind of stuff. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely, you definitely got to, like, sort of pick your battles <laughs> with, with the yeah. music industry for sure. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Especially because you don't want to burn out. I mean, I know, like, I think both of us have experienced some form of, of that. So For sure. Yeah. I <laughs> it's definitely... important not to push yourself too hard. <laughs> yeah. Real burnouts are real for sure. Um, like I totally burnt out after that tour and was like, I don't want to tour ever again. I actually like didn't yeah. want to think about music for a while. And yeah, that's, that's really yeah. sad when that happens too. Right. Cause like if your whole identity and your whole life and like just all your self value is like based on your ability to create music and all of this kind of shit. And then your love for that goes away. Then you have a full blown identity crisis on your hands. You're like, who am I? And what do I do about life? <laughs> totally. Yeah, absolutely. That's like, the worst feeling when you're burned out and you're like, okay, I don't want to do the things that I love. So what am I going to do? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Um, well, Hey, we've been chatting for a while now, so probably we'll cut it yes. off there, but, um, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. This was like a really interesting conversation. I'm so glad that we finally got to sit down and chat. It's been a, a long, a long time since we, yeah, I've been meaning to chat with you for yeah. a long time. So I'm glad it happened. Yeah, totally. Me too. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks to everyone who's listening. Uh, see you in, on the interwebs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you. I'm a